we're in the book of Titus, and we're in chapter 2, and we're going to be taking at the end of chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, Titus chapter 2, and we're going to be taking and finishing up chapter 2. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this day. And we thank you for allowing us to be able to gather here in your name, to lift your name on high and praise you and honor you and glorify you. You so deserve. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you will move in a mighty way this morning and illuminate your word to us to hear what you have for us personally, but also as a body of believers. May our hearts be so softened as we worshiped you in song, lifting truth, singing truth to you. May it be speaking from our hearts. May we have ears to hear. And may there be no distractions, Lord, in our minds, and our hearts, in this place that would hinder the work you want to do in our lives. We thank you and we praise you this morning. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. First of all, let me thank you and from my heart, and I do appreciate all of your prayers. Um, I have this new eye that is working really well. So I can now see on the right-hand side. So the last several couple of months, I have not been able to see you on the right-hand side. Now I can see both sides. I'm just, I can actually read. I can actually look and read and not have to turn my eye to the good eye to be able to do that. So I'm very thankful that I have two eyes that can actually read. I don't know if it improves my reading skill, but it, at least I can see the words this time and are not double-visioned and all kinds of craziness going on. It's hard enough to, <laughs> to teach the word and then try to focus here. So, but anyway, it's, it's no longer 16 font up here. I've got it down to the normal 11 font, so I can, these are good moments for me, I have to tell you. But uh, with that said, again, I thank you for all your prayers and just your blessings and just your love that you've uh, shared and, and your patience and grace, as we will be talking about grace today uh, in regards to with me, so... Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Follow along as I read verses 11 through 15, and then we will discuss verse by verse. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Again, Father, we just again thank you for your word. We cannot communicate with you enough of our love for you, but more, even more important, recognize your love for us. And by your love, and by your authority, by your power, speak to our hearts, your, your children, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul reminds Titus that true discipleship wasn't about putting on some religious appearance, nor is it about some religious theater or theatrical performance that you put on every Sunday or every time you gather together with your fellow religious people. It's not about performance, and it's not about some facade of appearance of religiosity, but simply preparing and living godly lives until the return of Jesus Christ, our Savior, for His bride, 
for you and I as believers. And we can only do this by God's grace. And there is no other way. There's a place called the place of grace. There's a place of grace in Christian life will determine the characteristics of one's Christian life. What does grace mean? Grace means God's lavish favor on undeserving sinners. That's you and I. What do we receive when we receive by the free gift of grace from God? What do we receive when we receive God's grace? We're going to see in the verses here today three things. We're going to see grace redeems us. We're going to see that grace will reform us. And we also will see that God's grace will reward us. Now we see here in verse 11, it starts off by saying, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does that mean? Very simply, God, the grace brings salvation. It brings redemption to you and I as sinners. It brings us a way, a hope that we will see. You don't go and find grace. You don't go out and get yourself some grace today. That is not how it works, my brothers and sisters, as you know. Prior to knowing Jesus, you wanted the things of the world. You wanted nothing to do with God's grace. You chose, you loved darkness. You didn't have any clue, let alone a desire to look for God's light. You love darkness in your life and the things that it means. We will see here that God does bring salvation and that you and I can't earn it or go get it anywhere. It comes to you and to me and you have the opportunity to choose to receive this free gift that God hands you. We see here in our scripture, here in verse 11, that it appears to all men. It doesn't appear to just some men and women, but to all. What does all mean, my brothers and sisters? We keep it simple here at Calvary Chapel. It means all means all. That means everybody. That doesn't mean in some religious circles that it's only for some people that God has chosen. We see here very clearly in the scripture, it is given as an opportunity for all to receive. That doesn't mean all will, will want to receive God's grace. But you have all of us have had the opportunity, regardless of your sinful past or sinful state that you're in right now, if you're a non-believer, God offers you a place of grace. The question is, will you receive it? But it is offered to all men. It is a universal appearance we see. Appearance to all. God doesn't have a gospel of grace for some and a gospel of law or self-justification for others. All men find salvation. All men find redemption by the grace of God. Understand, there is no place in life for mankind which is outside of the saving, loving hands of, and the influence of God's grace. There is no one that you can think of right now that can say they be, are beyond God's grace. That would not be biblically correct. He saved you, did he not? You and I were beyond his influence and thought he would ever save us. People cannot save themselves. God's grace had to bring salvation to mankind. God redeems us. And he's the only one that can redeem a person. This salvation was not discovered by sinners. 
It appeared to them via the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh. God is in his grace sent his son to redeem those in the bondage of sin. And all of mankind was in the bondage of sin. He came and made a way for us to be redeemed. This salvation is for all men who receive it. But you must choose to receive it. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through, 3 through 6. I'll read it for you. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be, to be testified in due time. He purchased you and I. Why? Because he loves you. Yes, even as a sinner, God loves you. And he wanted a personal relationship with you. That is why he created you, is to have fellowship with him. And sin separate us from that relationship with God. And then he offers you and I the place of grace and that is to receive his grace and put us in that place. There's a universal need for mankind and God provided a universal solution for all who will believe. We see in verse 12 and 13 that grace teaches us something. He teaches us three things for us to know today. One is that in verse 12 teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live or be living soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The ancient Greek word here for teaching speaks of what a parent does with a child. A parent does for a child, they speak to that child in many different ways. But the primarily is there to teach their children, they are to encourage their children, they are to cor have correction for their children, and discipline of their children. That is what a good parent does. Grace is a teacher. And grace teaches us as Christians how to live godly. That's what grace does. Grace also operates in the lives of the, of the saved. Not only bringing the unsaved to be saved, but once you're saved, it's grace that actually helps us and teaches us how to live godly lives. And apart from His grace, we cannot do that. There's no possible way. It's grounded. We're to be grounded in God's nature. Grace makes ethical demands on you and I as Christians so that we're consistent with His nature that is now in and lives within us. The place of grace in one's life instructs you and I as the believer in the things in according to sound, or we learned last week, healthy doctrine. That means Good, solid teaching of the Word of God. That's why we focus on the Word of God here at Calvary Chapel. We do not stray and go off on tangents outside of the Word of God. Why? Because we want to be healthy Christians. That we're learning and growing in our understanding and knowledge of who God is and what His expectations and His understanding His character and to be transformed as we will see is the second thing about grace. Not only does it redeem us, but it transforms us or reforms our lives. Paul is saying here that God's grace should instruct us or disciplining us in order for us to live lives that are rightly and properly displaying His character. 
That means we must be reformed once you get saved. It's one thing to be saved, and yes, I'm going to heaven. But God says, no, no, there's more to this. It's not about just purchasing you or redeeming your lives to give you a life, eternal life. But now I need to transform you and to help you to grow and mature in this new life you have inside you. You cannot continue in the old life. You now must live a new life where no longer can you live like you used to live. Some are quick to turn to the preaching of God's mercy and use that as an excuse to live lustful behavior. But it's this carelessness, it's this wrong thinking as a Christian now in your new life, it's wrong thinking, it's carelessness. And it keeps one from thinking about their regenerated new life that God has given them. And that's why you struggle as a Christian. If you're not embracing the new life. But the revelation of God's grace, the place of grace in your life brings with it exhortations or encouragements to this godly life of yours. Salvation is not only a change in position. You've been set free from the bondage of sin. You're now a free person. That is a change in position. But God says that's not the only thing I want to do in your life. But I want to now also change your attitude. I want to change your appetite. I want to change your ambition and I want to change your actions compared to the old life you used to have. There should be a change in life. It's the same grace that redeems us, also reforms our lives and makes us godly, the kind of people that glorify our Heavenly Father, that pleases our Heavenly Father. And all the things that we say and we do. This means that grace has its own disciples. Are you a disciple of God's grace? Did you ever come to the place of grace in your life of submission and obedience? How do you do that? Well, Paul tells young Titus, uh, Pastor Titus here, by denying ungodliness and worldly not lust. So the very first thing that Paul says here is, you must deny, as a Christian, you must deny anything that is ungodly and worldly lust. You must deny it. Grace puts ungodliness and worldly lust or passions in your past. What does it mean to deny? It means to put off. It doesn't mean to just avoid it. It means literally put it to death. It means it's no longer who you are. It's not who you, what you do. It's not how you think. You do not entertain those ungodly things and ungodly lustful things and passions from this world. That was destroying your life prior to the grace of God knocking at the door of your heart. So what is it that you're denying or putting off? It's the rejection of the devil and anything that he tries to do to bring you down. Any demonic forces, you, of, you deny it. You don't even entertain it. You, don't even, you reject it. The second one is... You reject of the self-obsession of this world. You and I must reject this self-obsession of what the world has to offer you. You have to reject it. The Bible says living a content life is great gain for you and I. This is not our home. Once you're saved, you're, this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. It's only a matter of time our Savior's coming back for you as a believer. And the third thing is, 
you must reject all of the sinful lust or, lust or the passions of the flesh. Those are, that's the hardest thing, is it not? Because you live with yourself 24-7. That's, that's a challenge. But let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters, God said you wouldn't be able to deny if he doesn't give you the power to be able to deny that lustful, lustful flesh that you live with 24-7. Remember, Christ lives within you. The power of the universe is with you. And his power can bring your flesh under control. You have to reject the old ways, put it off, and then replace that with putting on. Charles Spurgeon said that the most difficult part of the training of young men is not to put the right thing into that young man, but to get the wrong thing out of that young man. That is the hardest thing. But I have found working with a lot of young men and young ladies that when they're taught and learn and then kept accountable, that their spirit of God is keeping them accountable and they understand that the God is with them at all times. That you're no longer, you put off, you reject all these other things that used to be, and you put on living soberly, being clear-minded. Don't let anything skew or cloud your mind. Some people automatically think it's alcohol. It's not. Some people think it's drugs. That's not all of it is. But you can literally fog up your head and begin to live in this foggy world as a young person or as even an older person. Because remember, the scripture here we're talking about, if you remember in verses 1 through 10, uh, Paul methodically went through how to train up or to teach. Titus was to teach older men and older women and younger women and younger men and the, and the bond slaves. It didn't matter what your category or where you sat in life. This all applies to you. That you must living, be living, not only denying, but you must be living soberly, clear-minded, righteously according to God, godly in the present age. The best way of saying we must live soberly is one key word, if you remember last week, in verses 1 through 10. What was that? Self-control. That's the, that's the Greek word here. That is multiple times Paul is saying you must live self-controlled life. You cannot allow your feelings and your emotions and the things of this world or your flesh to sway you to live in ways that are go against God or unpleasing to God. But we must live soberly, self-controlled in regards to ourselves. And we must live righteously in regards to the people around us. How we live rightly affects people around us. We must live godly in regards to our God. We must take God seriously of what His Word says. It's not negotiable as a Christian to listen and say, Heavenly Father, I'm not interested in what you have to say today. Can you imagine if your children said to you as a father in your household, Dad, I am not interested in anything you have to say to me today. Hello? <laughs> Hello? That's called disobedience. There's consequences to disobedience. You do, you do understand that. More than likely, you're going to feel the hand of pressure of Dad. <laughs> however that form comes, you're going to feel the heavy pressure of dad. Your heavenly father also can come down and put his heavy hand on your back and says, young man, young lady, older man, mature women. That is not how you are to respond to me. 
That's not how it works. And he is patient. And yes, he is long-suffering. And you'll be in the place of grace where he will tenderly, lovingly, but he will discipline as needed because he loves you. He will not let this disobedience become an issue very long in your life. We want to be in that place of grace, don't we? He doesn't come to judge us. He comes to love on us and bring us into his will. That's where we want to be. We see that grace teaches us obedience. It does. Whatever the grace of God comes effectively, wherever it comes effectively in someone's life, successfully coming into this life, it makes one deny the desires of the flesh. Grace causes the man who lusts after money to conquer the greediness that is in his life. And it's by grace that grace brings the proud man away from his selfish ambitions. And it's by grace who trains up that slugger, that lazy man, to be diligent and to work hard. And it brings a soberness of mind, a self-control over the lustfulness that can boil up in someone's mind, which would then carry them into this foolish living that is not needed. It's not helpful. It's not good. And it's by this grace that trains us up that we are then able to leave this lust. But even more importantly, we deny it. That's why you have always heard me say, I don't care what your sin has or sins have been in the past. And all the labels that people can put on you and that society puts on you. Drunker. Drugger, you name it. For some, <laughs> yes, that's me, yes, that's me, yes, that's me. <laughs> you need to be in the place of grace. Because God doesn't see any of those titles and tags that people put on you. Once you're saved, you've been saved. And you've been set free. You've been redeemed. And he's in the process of transforming you or reforming you. You need to go to reform school. And he puts you in reform school when he has you. And he says, now let's start teaching you the right way to live according to my words. How many of us said, oh, I don't want to go to reform school. But once you get to become a Christian, once you become a child of God, I want to go to reform school. I want to change. I do not want to continue to do the things I don't want to do. And I want to do the things I need to be doing. I need to be doing. The phrase godly in the present age. Christians live in the present age. We're not in some unbiblical spiritual realm of in the clouds and say, I don't live in reality today in this world. No, we do. Christians live in the present age, but they do not live like it. We do not live like it or we do not live for it. That's the difference as Christians. The rest of the world who are non-believers live for it, live like it, they embrace it all. They have no other future or hope or promise of anything. But we do as Christians. That's the place of grace. Christ had redeemed us from this evil age. We see that noted in Galatians 1.4. We must not be conformed to this world. We see that noted in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. We neither should we walk according to its ways or standards. We see that clearly in Ephesians 2.2. Now the question is, once a person chooses to receive the free gift of salvation, 
grace. He knows intuitively. We know innately. We know immediately that he is to live, she is to live righteously for God. We see in the next verse, Paul says, tells us how to do that. In verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, if, if anyone says, what is the secret to living a godly life, a Christian life? Verse 13 is it. This is the secret that you and I as believers, as children of God, are looking constantly, daily for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of who? Of a great God. Almighty God. God Almighty. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our mighty God, is coming back. You want to live in the place of grace? Then every day you really believe that Jesus is coming soon and it will affect everything you do and think daily. It will change you. We are looking for Jesus Christ to return. This is our only hope. It is the glory that we talk about. We see that, that this is the grace that is going to reward us. That's our reward. Once we have been, grace redeems us and allow the grace of God to reform us, we get a reward. The grace actually will reward us in due time. What is that reward? Well, it says right here in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope. It tells us here in the scripture that we're to, grace teaches us to, to expect and prepare for our blessed hope. What is the hope? Hope is not heaven. Hope is not, our, not glory. Our hope our blessed hope is a person that is Jesus Christ himself. That is our hope. Now I hope you caught this. Because this is the subtleness that people as Christians who have been walking for many years now do not understand the grace of God, the place of grace. They've been working and working and working and doing and doing and doing. But they're missing the place of grace. They're sitting there, I can't wait to get to heaven. And don't get me wrong, I say that often. Oh, I can't wait to get to my glorified state. I've been justified. I've been being sanctified. I can't wait to be glorified. Oh, I can't wait to get the new body. And I say that often, especially when the eye was going bad. Oh, Lord, wait till I get the new eyes. What is it going to be like? But my brothers and sisters, the blessed hope that you must keep your mind set upon looking and looking up is the return of Jesus Christ for you. It's not what, it's not where, it is who. Because we do not do religious what or religious where. We do relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why if you're trying to work your way into somehow getting into a relationship with God, or you're working really hard to somehow get a better sense that your God is talking to you and you got this sense of God in you and kind of can I help you relax today? in your Christian life and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins and stand in the place of grace that you can't earn it you can't work for it 
You can't do anything other than just respond out of love for your Savior who has redeemed you, who's been reforming you, and is going to reward you. And you will enjoy your walk as a Christian. You will find the peace and the joy that God talks about. Now, looking for the blessed hope. Jesus came, if you remember, the first time to save the soul of man. When Jesus comes back the second time, it will be to resurrect that body that he saved. The first time when Jesus came, he came for the purpose to save the individual. But when he comes back the second time, it will save a society. The first time when Jesus came, he knew he was going to go to a crucifixion at the tree. When he comes back the second time, it will be a time for a crowning at the throne. When Jesus came the first time, it was in time of humility. Born as a baby. Stripped and, and beaten and, and bloodied mess and on a crucifixion like a criminal. But when he comes back a second time, he'll be in glory. The first time when Jesus came, he came was was judged by men. But the second time when he comes, it was to judge all men. When Jesus came the first time, he stood before Pilate. The sentence was made. When he comes back a second time, Pilate will be the one standing before him. I don't know where Pilate is. I don't know if he stands in the place of grace or not. We'll find out when we get to heaven, won't we? But the question is, are you in the place of grace today? Or are you going to be standing in the place of Pilate? That's the question that all of us have asked. In verse 14, we see that Paul talks about the heart of, the God, of the, the, the God of grace. The wonderful ministries of the grace of God upon our lives. He says in verse 14, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The ministry of the grace of God. When we're in the place of grace, we find that he, we realize that He Himself gave Himself for you. You will realize that He gave Himself for you so that He could redeem us, purchase us for Him. He who gave himself. Every word of this description of Jesus' work is important. Notice here. Jesus gave. That means it was voluntary. Jesus gave himself. Which means he gave all he could for you. He gave his life. It says that Jesus gave himself for us, which means Jesus gave as a substitute for sinful man. You and I were to go to the cross and to be judged and to be, die for our sins. Jesus himself came to be a substitute for you on that cross. That's how much he loves you. 
First Peter 2.24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. It's by his bloody stripes that you, and it's very English, by those bloody stripes, you were healed. I thank God for that healing that he gave to my, to my life so that he might redeem us. Redemption means to be bought out of slavery by the paying of a ransom. You've been ransomed. He paid the ransom for you. We are bought out of slavery to sin and purchased for his service For his purpose. We have been redeemed from all iniquity we see. All lawlessness. We have been purchased from that. That should not. Lawlessness should not be speaking of our lives in any form or fashion. Which means that sin should no longer master our lives. Doesn't mean it won't mess with our lives. But it should not master our lives. We are taught that the death of Jesus was intended not for our forgiveness and justification only, but for our sanctification, our deliverance. Deliverance from what? From all of the power of our habitual sins that we lived by. That's why the scripture is very clear. If you live habitually in sin, you have not been redeemed. You have not been changed, regenerated. You must today hear my voice, what the word of God says. You must repent and surrender all today to Jesus. You must if you want to be in the place of grace and have eternal life with God. That's not my words. It's the words of the scripture. That's God's word. Regardless of how you feel. Why? Because he loves you. He wants to make you and I his own special people. The word, the Greek, ancient Greek word here for special means, it's kind of interesting word. It means to reserved for. He has reserved you and I for himself. God purifies our lives and makes us his own special possession. This process of purification, this process we call sanctification, is its goal is to make you and I as a believer more like Jesus Christ. We see that very clear in Romans Chapter 8, verse 29. He wants us to be and make us into this dedicated devotion to God. Is that speaking of you? You've dedicated your life. You're devoting your life to God to serve and to be there. To be this zealot person for good works that God is going to call you to. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased to live with zeal for God. The zeal with knowledge of God. The zeal for the righteousness of God in our lives. And then as a result, because of this new position we find ourselves in, called the place of grace, we cannot not be helped. We're just, with zeal, want to do something for God. Not because it earns His love. He's already, we've already received His love. Not because we are wanting to try to get more of God. You have all of God. Not to somehow make sure I stay in the family of God because you know how I've been thinking and slipped up a few times. No, you've already been adopted. You're already in the family of God. It's done. How much more zeal should you have to say, God, what do you have for my life that will be pleasing to you? And every day we wake up and ask, what do you have for me today? 
There shouldn't be drudgery. There shouldn't be downtrodding. There shouldn't be this, oh, I'm living this Christian life. It's such a miserable life. You have no idea the people I have to deal with. Snap out of it. You need to come back to the grace of God. You've got to come back of the finished work of Jesus and what he has done. He's redeemed you. He's reforming you. He's going to reward you. You should be the happiest person and most zealous person in your life in showing, reflecting that. I'm not talking about the fake theatrical performance of Christianity. Like turning it on. You're a drudgery, a miserable person on the outside. But when it comes Sunday, you turn it on, man. I've got to just have to be that with those Christians in that church for only 15, 30 minutes maybe, and I'm going to turn it on and make it sound like God is living through me. And I walk right out and I go right back to my miserable life. You have a miserable life. That is not how it's supposed to be. Let God, if you've been redeemed, let God transform you. Let him do the work. Sit in the place of grace and let him do the work. And what will happen is all of us are going to see the fruit of God's work in your life called the fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit is love. And I don't care what I do and how I look at your life, there's going to be a facet about your life that is just going to radiate who? Jesus Christ, who lives within you. It's going to come. Why? Because of grace, we allow God to do the work. He's still sanctifying you. You might be in the very beginning of the process of being reformed. So we show grace because you're just starting the beginning of the journey. But if you've been saying you've been a Christian for a good year to two, three, five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, some of you may not be that long. Some of you might. You should be so fruitful in God's spirit of, of, of the spirit of, of, of the, the spirit of God that people should be able to pluck from your life love from God that is just so filling and so rewarding to be around you. You shouldn't be a porcupine. <laughs> it's not a part of the fruit. You shouldn't be a porcupine. Touchy. Woo, watch out. It should be love. We see in our last verse here, and we wrap up, the messengers of grace. We're messengers of grace. It says, speak these things. Paul says, Titus, speak these things. What things? The first verses 1 through 10. Speak these things to those older men. Don't be holding back. Speak these things to those mature women. You better be speaking to those young women and those young men. You better be communicating effectively and what my expectations are. But speak these things. Exhort. Encourage them in these things. You need to rebuke. Yes, you need to correct them if they're not doing it my way. You need to correct them. Why? Because you're in the position as a pastor, you're supposed to encourage them and also correct them. As a parent, you need to make sure you teach these things to your children and you need to encourage them in it. You need to correct them into it. My brothers and sisters, as you're interacting, you need to be speaking these things. You need to be encouraging these things. You need to be correcting in love these things when you see them in your, with your sister that you love so dearly. With all authority, Titus, with all authority, you have the authority of God in the position you're in as a pastor to be teaching these things. And let no one despise you. See, Titus and every one of God's messengers of grace are directed to speak and exhort and to rebuke and to do with all authority. Is it your authority? Say no. It's not your authority. It's not because you've been a Christian longer. That's not gives you the authority. It's because you're only sharing the authority that is, is absolutely true. You're just sharing the word of God. Don't share your opinion. Don't share your, your leaning on your own understanding. If you're going to encourage people, if you're going to correct people, if you're going to teach them anything, 
you only share the word of God. Please, please, pretty please. Because that is when you're going to see people will receive it if they're going to receive it. And they're going to sense your love because you really are going to do it out of love. And you're going to do it with grace because we are in the place of grace. We must allow other people to be what? In the place of grace. But he does say at the very end, don't let, do not, let no one despise you. Titus spoke of with all the authority he had to back it up with his life. Titus, don't go out there and teach these things and then be around and people are going to despise you. Why are they going to despise you? Because you're living a hypocrisy. You live this life that says you're a Christian. You say all these things. You say you are living a certain way. But everyone can watch your life and see that you're not. So how are you going to go turn around and tell, to teach these things to someone else or to encourage someone to do these things or to correct someone when you're not doing it yourself? It's hypocrisy. And people will despise you. Don't let anyone despise you, Titus. What you're teaching, you must live. You talk about grace, then you need to live in grace and you need to allow people to be in grace. Let God do the work. I just want you to be a messenger of my truth. And I'll let the Holy Spirit do the work. You're not the Holy Spirit. And it's not only hypocrisy. But he's also saying to Titus, don't allow them to intimidate you. Don't let them intimidate you, Titus. You have the authority of the word of God. Stand firm. Remember, salvation produces transformation, which leads you and I to the anticipation of Christ's return. How do I know that God has saved you? How do I know that God has saved you and transforming and renewing and making you new? Is you cannot help but keep looking up for the return of Jesus Christ. And you are not ashamed to talk about it. You're not sitting there as a Christian saying, oh, Jesus, I don't want he doesn't come back today. I got things to do. Hello? We'll show you grace. You're going to grow. You're not there yet. You're immature. You're young. You need to grow. Because once you've grown and mature, every day you look up and say, perhaps today, Lord, you're coming back for me. So Titus, Paul says, tell all the believers, tell all the saints, tell all your brothers and sisters, we can and we must stand strong in the place of grace.